Welcome to Ann Arbor Spark CEO podcast, Conversations on Economic Opportunity. My name is Paul Kretko, and I'm the president and CEO of Ann Arbor Spark. Welcome to a series of conversations with key leaders from those sectors. Joining me today is Mike Saratakis, a longtime leader in building the Ann Arbor region's entrepreneurial ecosystem and partner with Ann Arbor Spark. Uh, Mike is the director of ventures within the Innovation Partnerships Business Unit of the University of Michigan as well as the Managing Director of the Accelerate Blue Fund. And if that wasn't enough, Mike also serves as the Chair of the local Ann Arbor Ypsilanti Local Development Finance Authority, which is uh, the core funding for much of the activities that we do here at Spark. Mike has an MBA and MS from U of M. He brings extensive experience in entrepreneurship, venture capital, and technology commercialization. He's known for his expertise in evaluating investment opportunities, fostering collaboration between academic innovation, venture capital, and industry, committed to supporting startups and driving economic growth in the region. So we're really happy to have Mike join us. It's been a long time. We should have had him on um, many, many episodes ago, but we're glad to have him today. So thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for for inviting me to join you, Will. And I think it was appropriate for you to have President Ono and, and Kelly Sexton on before you had me on. So. <laughs> Yeah, probably, probably the president of the university too. But, uh, anyway, let, let's, you know, one of the things I wanted to do today is really talk about um, innovation partnerships and the innovation partnership structure and the role within the University of Michigan. I mean, I've had exposure to that because uh, of my involvement, but I think our audience would be interested in understanding the concept of innovation partnerships I know there are some three, I, off the top of my head, I think there's three or four core core areas that your group focuses on. So could you share that uh, with, us, with our audience? Sure, be happy to. So Innovation Partnerships is the technology commercialization arm of the University of Michigan, the third largest research university in the country. And um, our, our primary task is to commercialize the research coming out of the university uh, and we typically do that with partnering with industry and supporting the launch of startups that are based on that research. Um, and so, like you mentioned, uh, we have three arms. We have a corporate alliances group, which works with uh, industry to partner uh, with faculty who are doing research that they're interested in um, or to help solve problems uh, that uh, companies are trying to solve in their marketplaces. Uh, we have a licensing group, which is the team that prosecutes the patents and negotiates the agreements with industry or with our startups. Uh, great group of people with a lot of industry backgrounds and uh, very broadly focused because we represent all three campuses and every school at the university for this activity. And then my team is the ventures group, and our work is to support researchers and their teams as they go down the startup path. We typically have 100 to 150 startup projects at any one time we're working with. We work very collaboratively with uh, the, the licensing team and the corporate alliances team because uh, there's a lot of overlap in that area. And then we do support uh, post-launch and we, we do that through several activities. Uh, we have an, a startup incubator on site that has six uh, world-class labs that Pfizer built for us many years ago and that the university bought um, in mid 2000s uh, and that comes with uh, I think 35 or 40 offices as well. So uh, our, our startups are housed in that unit and close to us. 
Um, we have uh, a mentors in residence program and two M-Track programs, um, which support commercialization activity uh, prior to launch uh, from the University of Michigan, as well as other universities across the state. So we're very fortunate to have those programs focused on transportation and life sciences, and then the mentor program. Uh, the mentor program is really core to what we do in that we have the ability to support projects and launch of startups uh, with a team of people who have been there and done that. Um, the mentors have raised dollars, started companies. They've been uh, they served on venture funds uh, and uh, they've worked in industry and merger and acquisitions. So we, we have a really um, broad team. We're very fortunate at the university because it's unusual. Uh, to be able to support, you know, the massive amount of, of innovation that's happening at the university. Yeah, so maybe just drill down that a little further. I'll let you describe the number, but I understand. You know, the understanding is there is such a volume uh, of uh, research and ideas coming out, and I know that you guys just reported on a number of something called invention disclosures. Describe describe that. Yeah. So. Um, being the third largest research university, um, I guess I should define that more. Our, our budget uh, is typically around $1.7 billion annually. Um, and, and so with that kind of volume of research dollars, we get a lot of disclosures of inventions. So this is a new idea or a new concept or an actual new invention that faculty and, and grad students and staff uh, develop in their work. Uh, within the academic institution. They, uh, they disclose these inventions to us. Uh, 500 is kind of our benchmark uh, and puts us in, in parallel with MITs and Stanford's. Very few universities in the country uh, breach the 500 invention disclosure mark. Uh, we, in fact, uh, set our record this year. I don't think it's been officially released yet, but um, it's, it's well over 550 invention disclosures. So we're really excited about that. What's What I think people need to grasp with that number is that an invention disclosure doesn't mean that we're gonna launch a startup six months later from that. Um, we we have the good fortune of having a very long-term horizon. So, so the invention disclosures that do move forward, um, and I can talk a little bit more about that as well uh, and how they move forward, uh, some of them commercialize quickly and, you know, especially like in the software space, but in the therapeutic space or advanced materials or battery space, those can be very, very long-term projects, 10 years even, that we work in support of that activity and trying to get them the resources and the support they need um, to eventually move out of the university space and into the marketplace. So one of the key concepts and <clears throat> something that the, the broader audience that may listen to this may not quite understand that you could take a moment to explain, I think you were going there, is this notion of licensing the technology. Could you describe that and, 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 and why that's important? Yeah, so, um, you know, I think the easiest way to explain it is um, there was a, something called the Bayh-Dole Act passed in 1980. And that basically gave um, univer research universities the ability to commercialize research that was federally funded. Uh, the feds had done that previously. I think there were like 200 therapeutics developed under that program prior to 1980. Not one of them made it to market. And so the, uh, the senators thought that uh, 
you know, we should give the universities a crack at that. And that was really the dawn of the tech transfer uh, industry. Uh, there were some offices prior to that for commercialization. And so what that means is it's our job, our office's job at Innovation Partnerships to prosecute the patents. So it's like working at a company and you invent something on behalf of the company because of the job you have, the company owns that. And, and in the same way, the University of Michigan owns it, obviously in a different manner, but nevertheless. And, and under um, the law and how we operate, we license those opportunities when they're developed enough or our company's more interested in, in, in securing that to take that research out in the un into the marketplace and make sure that it is utilized uh, in a practical way. So we don't like selling our inventions to get them shelved so they don't create competition uh, in the marketplace. And so our, our team is very diligent in understanding the patent landscape. We, we spend millions of dollars every year on prosecuting patents uh, and then uh, making sure that we partner with the right the right um, organizations, companies, or startups to benefit society in getting the, the research out, also benefiting the university. So a license, what a license means is it's a commercialization deal. We're not selling the technology, but we're uh, providing an opportunity for a company to utilize that research, take it to market uh, however they deem fit, we, we have to understand what that path is. And the university as a result benefits as well um, from successful commercialization activities. So we, we would get funding back depending on a variety of, of um, achievements that happen. For a startup, it could be they get acquired and we have an equity stake through the license. Um, it could be you know, for a therapeutic uh, that's licensed to a, a big, pharmaceutical, it could be a royalty payment or some milestone payments. Uh, and some of these have been incredibly lucrative uh, for the university. And then that money is actually divided uh, going to the inventors that are on the patent, uh, going to the department where that work came from and going to the university as a whole. So innovation partnerships, other than covering our patent, patent costs, uh, expenses, uh, we just disperse that funding out into the university. And that's also one of our, our, our operational responsibilities as those, those funds come in. Great. That was a fantastic explanation. And I appreciate you walking, walking us through that. So let me change gears a little bit. <clears throat> Most recently, you've taken on the role in, inside Innovation Partnerships to be the managing director of the Accelerate Blue Fund. Uh, explain to us what Accelerate Blue is. And sure. What you're trying to accomplish with that? So it, you know, um, the Accelerate Blue Fund uh, was approved by the Regents in October of 2019. It was a, a big day for our office. Um, it's a it's a fund managed by the Ventures team. Um, unfortunately, I I have the position of managing director of it, and it is focused on investing in pre-seed, making pre-seed investments in University of Michigan licensed startups. So we have a very narrow focus. Um, we're not sector focused, but in fact, we only invest in uh, U of M startups, uh, most of which are in, in Michigan, but across the country as well. And the objective of the fund was really to address uh, the, the shortage of early stage capital in the state of Michigan. Um, it's, it's much better than my old MEDC days, but it's still a very challenging environment uh, being in the middle of the country. 
And so we thought if we could take on some of that risk, we would be able to bring uh, um, institutional funding, traditional venture capital to the table faster for our startups. Um, we've had the good fortune of partnering with Spark and, and their investment program and Invest Detroit, Michigan Rise, up the other pre-seed uh, programs, uh, where we stand apart a little bit as we raise the fund through philanthropy initially. So um, we, we got approval to fundraise from the regents in 2019, but we didn't start investment activity until we had re reached $2 million of uh, commitments from donors which came from mostly uh, alumni, but also corporate donors. Uh, Amazon, for example, is, a, is a, a donor to the fund. So we made our first investment in April of 2021 uh, in a company called Movellus, which is having great success. So we were very fortunate to get a piece of that. And uh, since then, we've, we've made 12 investments. We've deployed about 12, or I'm sorry, two and a half million. Uh, we currently have about $15 million under, under management total with investments in dollars available. And uh, just last year, we after we hit the $5 million commitment from donors, we received support from the University of Michigan um, as well. So that was an exciting milestone for us. Well, I know this is a space that um, we at Spark and, and the university, your, your team and Kelly and um, partners like Invest Detroit and others are really focused on because this, these early dollars are pre-venture. We use this phrase pre-seed. Um, and I don't know where we actually came up with that phraseology pre-seed, because it sounds a little odd, but it really is, you know, once once a company gets to a point where there's a viable product, um, it's these early dollars that gets them to the next stage to be ready for the venture capital community to look at them. and um, you know, given, given, as you said, where we are in the middle of the country, those dollars are really precious and are, are something that we really need. So the, the university's leadership in this area and the, the region's willingness um, to, among all the fundraising the university does to have, you know, you guys pursue philanthropic investment was really, really important step. So I'm going to and, talk. Just, yeah, just to be clear, since people might not understand philanthropic part of this, is that the fund is not set up traditionally. Um, so all investment returns go back into the fund. It's evergreen. It's not set up like a traditional carry or management fee uh, fund. Um, so it hopefully will raise enough money so that it will just continue right. for, for generations. Yeah. And just for the audience to know, Sparks Fund is set up the same way. All of the returns that we get from the investments that we make cycle back into the fund to make uh, future investments. Um, so I'm gonna maybe move in a little different direction now, Mike, about sort of your general knowledge and experience about uh, this work that, that you're doing. So the, I guess the, the first question I wanna ask is, you know, how important you know, do you find the relationship between universities and businesses and fostering innovation and economic growth? Um. Well, clearly, given what I do, it's incredibly important. <laughs> or I guess I wouldn't be doing this. Um, you know, I, I like to look. I like to point to people, um, people to the the regions that are are known for this. You know, nationally and worldwide. You know, Stanford's wrapped around Silicon Valley, or Silicon Valley wrapped around Stanford, uh, the Cambridge, Boston area. Um, you know, Austin with the University of Texas, and and what what you will 
you'll see as a common theme there are great research universities that are wrapped by, by a lot of capital and a lot of industry and a lot of commercialization activity that's taking place outside the university. And um, you know, I, I feel pretty passionately that, uh, that we have this, a similar opportunity here in Ann Arbor and, and Southeastern Michigan, Michigan in general. We've got uh, obviously the University of Michigan, but we have three, three really, you know, four very active commercialization uni research universities in the state. Um, and you know, U of M obviously being the, the largest. And I think the opportunity of, of, of people are starting to get their head wrapped around the, the value of research um, creation that's happening at the university and the opportunities not just to have impact on the economy and jobs, but also as, as viable investment opportunities. And as a result, um, you know, the, the volume of what we do in this office is, is dramatically increased. Um, I'm approaching my 10 year anniversary here, which is hard to believe, but we've gone from when I started maybe 10 to 12 new startups um, to typically well over 20 um, per year, uh, you know, in, in all sectors. And many of those startups launch and stay in the Ann Arbor and, and Michigan areas to um, support that activity and the greatest economic impact of job growth uh, comes from startups. If you look at the statistics, I mean, big companies can make big changes and create lots of jobs. But if you look at the total number and long-term uh, viability of job creation, it's with startups. So in that vein, given the decade that you've been working <clears throat> at the university and then your time at MEDC before that, and you, you just alluded to that a little bit, um, how have you seen the landscape of entrepreneurship, you know, in our region change, and and what opportunities do you see emerging um, in those areas? Yeah, um, I think the risk tolerance uh, is improving. It's still probably more conservative than uh, the rest of the country, and by risk tolerance, uh, I mean that in several ways: um, people willing to go and take a risk and start a company and understand the challenges of that, um, I think is, is much better than it was uh, 10, 15 years ago. I think the, you know, speaking specifically to the university's ecosystem, there's a much better understanding from faculty uh, of the opportunity and a positive outlook on commercialization of their research. And so it's, it's much, um, much more acceptable to have a startup uh, as a result of the work you've done um, investment risk tolerance is also conservative in the state, but has improved. Uh, I think there's a new generation of investors coming through with the exits of, you know, companies like Duo and Llamasoft, uh, you know, people who are, are younger and, and, and took a lot of risk in, in, in taking their startups out and keeping them here. Uh, those exits were obviously very lucrative for the ecosystem, and and those founders and and employees of that company have become active angel investors and even investors in venture funds, uh, which I think is really healthy for bringing new new blood into the uh, the investment and entrepreneurship community around here. So turn it on its head in, in that way. What in 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 talking to entrepreneurial minded say at faculty or uh, others who are joining them 
in terms of an early stage company. What advice do you have for them in seeking funding at this particular time? Um, you know, um, have a clear vision, understand your marketplace and, and who potentially would want your, your product or service. Um, there, there is so, you know, if we stick to Michigan, there is a, we are very fortunate, even though we have challenges in the state, we have a, a really strong network of entrepreneurial support activities. Um, you know, Spark's a great example of that with things like boot camp and uh, um, uh, uh, the Emerging Technology Fund opportunities, and uh, obviously the Precede or the the Spark Capital Fund, which does Precede investing, um, similar to Accelerate Blue. So tapping into those resources, making sure that you're just not doing this alone, um, because no startup is successful as a, you know, a single entrepreneur, not have any bosses. You're going to have to partner, 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 as, as is a very old saying, but it's, it's very much true. Um, you know, from the university perspective, you know, a lot of our startups get involved in a federal uh, commercialization grant program called SBIR. Um, there's partners out there to help with those grant applications that's non-dilutive funding. There's matching fund from the state uh, to support that activity. Uh, there, you know, again, university startups have a statewide mentor program that's under that T3M program I mentioned earlier. Um, there's activity to try to broaden those mentor networks um, for all startups. And, you know, uh, you guys have your EIR program. Um, these are all tools that we we push our startups to go utilize and partner with, and I, I anticipate, um, given all the success this is generating, that we're going to have more of that activity. So, you know, it, we have challenges in the state, but I think we're very fortunate to have that kind of support. We get calls from all over the country. How did you get that mentor program in place? How did you get, you know, those that that funding from the state? So we're yeah, it's interesting in my experience because I've been here in this job um, now um, 12 years is that that we've invested a lot collectively in this engagement with the early companies um, in, in terms of the mentorship activity. And it sounds when we use the word phrase mentors, people may have something in their mind what that means. But essentially, it's people that have done this kind of thing before. Exactly. And, you know, not not a broad generalization, but many times in terms of our boot camp activity, um, the, somebody might have a great idea, but they've never talked to somebody as a customer um, or or they or when they do have talked to a customer, customer says, well, that's an interesting idea. But if you did it this way, then I would potentially buy from you. And that's sort of the intervention that we do. And I think the other piece, both in, in innovation partnerships work and our work is we have a much more patient approach, if I want to say that. Um, in, in, in other environments, other regions um, that have a much more history of this robust kind of startup activity, the, there seems to be more of a, let's, let's get you, you know, into the marketplace very quickly and let's get a return very quickly. And I know many examples, and we don't have time to go through them here today, where we've been patient with a particular, whether it be a therapeutic or whether what kind of idea it is, that um, over time, we've had great success with them, where if we had an expectation that they would, you know, have customers and make money right away, they never would, would have got there. So that's one of the things I really find that's uh, positive coming here from Silicon Valley is, is that 
um, we're willing to take a little longer longer bets on things. I think. Yeah, so, I think I think that's a really important point. Um, it's very much the ethos that we operate under uh, at Innovation Partnerships, very much um, aligned with the whole point of the Accelerate Blue Fund: patient risk tolerant capital. Capital, you know, we don't have the pressure of returning capital to LPs, limited partners um, who are expecting a return on their investment. Um, you know, at the same time, we don't want to just further the money away in, in projects that aren't making progress. But um, having having that patience and and understanding that a lot of the things that your team and our team works on uh, take a long time to commercialize is, I think, a, a good a good use of the programs we have, given what's coming out of the university. Mm-hmm. Very true. Very true. You know, I just even think about <clears throat> sort of you, you talked about. Um, the facility that you guys have labs in, which was a Pfizer facility, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole story of why that facility became available and then what happened after that is an example of an entrepreneur inventor who was very patient uh, over time. Uh, yeah. No, and, when that, you know, I, I was at the MEDC when um, Pfizer left. Um, and obviously that wasn't great news for the state or for Ann Arbor. Um, I believe tech transfer was the first tenant after the university bought it. It's two and a half million square feet. And people were like, oh, it's never going to get full. That was a horrible investment, even though it was pretty low cost. Um, the place is packed now, um, yeah. even after the yeah. pandemic. So it's the the activity in, on campus is incredible. So, Mike, I always want to close out because um, you, you play another role that's important to Spark, and that's in your role as chairing the LDFA. So maybe take a moment uh, with the audience to talk a little bit about that work and uh, how you see it in terms of the LDFA to explain, you know, one of the mechanisms by which Spark is funded is resources come through the state of Michigan to a local board uh, that you are chairing, uh, which has uh, people appointed from Manabur and from Ypsilanti. Yeah. And they are to some extent in, in entrepreneurial work services work, our Sparks boss. So you want, maybe you want to take a little bit of talk about that, because I think it's important for the community to understand, you know, they hear Spark, but there is oversight that um, your board provides. Yeah, thanks for um, um, giving me a chance to talk about that. So uh, uh, Stephen Rapundolo, who's past chair and long member, recruited me a few years back, um, and he was term limited. And uh, so after a year and a half, I got the surprise asked uh, to be chair. Um, it's it's really satisfying work because uh, we get a, a you know a a good inside look of the activity that's happening um, in the regions, you know, between Ypsilanti and Ann Arbor. Obviously, uh, a lot of the support we provide goes to Spark, and we're very happy about that. We review those those engagements every year. We actually just recently signed the contract, the new contract with Spark. Um, but we have independent oversight of, of that activity and making sure it's aligned with the mission of the LDFA and the smart zone, um, which is, is basically there to support uh, commercialization, entrepreneurial activity in the region. Um, and, and so I, it's a different perspective for me. Um, it's very aligned, though, with the activities we do at Innovation Partnership and my job. So I, I really appreciate the perspective. Uh, Spark's been a great partner uh, in supporting activities and, um, you know, even running grant programs uh, that benefit the community 
that are outside the scope of what we've discussed today. So, you know, we've, we've helped put, like, we were very involved in a, a, a fiber optic network uh, that's being uh, deployed in Ann Arbor and Ypsilanti. Um, we were able to take fund uh, advantage of some other funding resources there. Um, uh, we we look for new opportunities. It's a public meeting. Uh, we are all uh, appointed by uh, Ann Arbor City Council. I believe we're all appointed by them. Um, and um, so we we meet. I believe it's the second, no, the third Thursday of every month. I hope that's right. Uh, but it's if you go to the Ann Arbor uh, City website, you can um, you can find out when our meetings are. Please join by Zoom or in person. Uh, we're back to in-person meetings. And uh, you know, there's a time for public commentary and, and engagement um, like most public meetings. So yeah, it's an interesting, um, you know, from my perspective, <clears throat> step back out of your role. It was a very strategic concept that the state of Michigan employed probably two decades ago, which basically said, if if you can create a district and you can show that that district is growing through the activities to support technology companies, the state will share some of that increased revenue uh, with that district to do more of that. And it, it, it created this virtuous cycle of investment. And, you know, we're fortunate in Ann Arbor, I think, <clears throat> that the people that were involved then, I wasn't here. Uh, I don't think you were involved, Mike, maybe at MEC, but uh, that they created a boundary that made logical sense. Or, uh, and uh, that's created dollars. And as I'm always careful to describe it, um, these are dollars that the, the treasurer of the state of Michigan is contractually obligated to, to disperse to Ann Arbor on behalf of Ann Arbor and Ypsilanti. And we do, we do make expenditures in Ypsilanti as well under the, the current contract because um, we, as your contract entity, have facility, a facility in downtown Ann Arbor and one in downtown Ypsilanti. But I always look at it and when I talk to others around the country who wanna know how we do stuff, they're always surprised about this. And there's always this notion, well, you know, does, does Michigan have its economic development toolkit together or whatever, you know, lots of criticism. But this one, from the fact that we're, we, we did it for the first 15 years and it was renewed for another period of time is a real success, is a real success story of how um, something like this could be accomplished. And I could, others, either, either I talk to internationally or other states, they always marvel about how how did this get done, but it, it's it's really remarkable, and it's I think it's really made it a real difference. Um, you know, and, and to point out, Ann Arbor is not the only one. Ann Arbor, right. there there are smart zones across the state that have uh, the same kind of activity and, and support for their ecosystems, and that's why I think the like you said, defining the boundaries, requiring those groups that are involved with that to focus on those areas and and stay um, is it's not competitive in that respect as a result. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, so I'm kind of gonna give you an open one here, Mike, you get any final thoughts you'd like to share today? Well, um, first of all, <laughs> thanks for having me on. It, it's fun to do this. Um, uh, glad to see you and up and around again. Um, you know, I, I think the message from us is uh, innovation partnerships and the University of Michigan um, we are becoming more proactive in how we engage with the ecosystem. Um, we, we think that that's the right path forward to help commercialize the research that's happening in the university, which bottom line is what our job is. 
Uh, I think, you know, even in your interview with uh, the president and, and Kelly, there, you know, there's, there's a lot more talk about how we can benefit our work by being more engaged in economic development activities. And I think, you know, I, I'm not leadership in that respect, but I, I, I'm pretty confident you're going to see more activity from the university. And given our size, I think it will be quite impactful in Ann Arbor and, and beyond. Well, one of the things that I always do when we have these conversations is uh, with the university is highlight one thing that, you know, the audience should know or would want to know is that one of the reasons that we exist at all is mm -hmm. that a prior president uh, took a leadership position and said, we need something like this in our community. So as you know, uh, just sharing with the audience, uh, in our in our leadership, the officers of our organization, senior leaders of the university are always uh, tapped and are willing to play that kind of role. So the relationship between Ann Arbor Spark and the university is, is incredibly solid and important and seems to grow with each passing year. And I know I, I share this from behalf of staff, Mike, how much we enjoy working with you and the team at Innovation Partnerships and are really looking forward to what's next. We know both of us know there's stuff out there that we're working on now that is complicated and, and odd. I would say odd in the sense that it's not the normal thing. That not the normal, yeah. And we're hoping that some of those things will, will, will come to fruition. But again, thanks a lot uh, for talking with me today. Thank you. It was great. Now, you know, I'll point out one last thing. Um, while we've had representation on your board, you are also on our National Advisory Board, which is a really important group to help us do this kind of activity. So thank you yeah. for that. I really appreciate to have that opportunity. So <clears throat> I want to thank our audience uh, for listening and learning more about those leaders and organizations working hard to create the Ann Arbor region's economic future. These conversations are brought to you by Ann Arbor Spark. For more information about Ann Arbor Spark, you can find us on the web at annarborusa.org and also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn.